Welcome back to another episode of A Time to Think. Pastor Chris Tillman, Pastor Josh Holland, and we are taking some time to just think through what we've been thinking through. You yeah, think? yeah. You think that'll work? We're not being lazy. Trust us. We're not being lazy at all. No, I like to think of it as efficiency. Yeah, we're you thinking know? about the things we've been thinking about. You know, it's so it's so easy in today's day and age to always think about something new and never stop and ponder, never stop and process through. And um, I, I've, I'm guilty of that is I go to the gym and I want to listen to something and I think, well, I need a sermon prep. I need to study for school. I need to think through this for a Bible study. Let me listen to a ninth thing while I work out, you know, just another thing, another thing, another thing. Eight things are fine when you're running, but not nine. But not nine. No. And so something like this, actually what we're doing here in this series of episodes is just trying to stop and say, okay, Chris has been in a unique course with his seminary, and uh, you might be able to hear the the air kicking on in the background there here. We're at church. Um, And we have air here, and that's good. We do. Praise the Lord for people who tithe. Yeah. So, so Chris has been in his own coursework. I've been in my own coursework. And, and you know, you and I get to kind of check in once in a, yeah. in a blue moon and say, how's your stuff going? How's my stuff going? Um, but I think the, the uniqueness is like when you're learning two different things, you don't always have the chance to stop and say, so what are you really thinking about what you're learning? Yeah. So that's the goal here. Um, yeah. And so with that intro, I, I'm going to let Chris drive. Yep, he's going to let me drive the car. Uh, so what, what we're going to do here, uh, the last episode, we um, got to think about things I've been thinking about uh, with some of my coursework at Southern Seminary. Well, Joshua Carl, you, uh, you are the happy uh, enjoyer of an educational curriculum. The happy enjoyer. Put forward by our friends at Reformed Theological Seminary. Uh, now, Josh, you have uh, your bachelor's degree is from the university that brings us the Hilltoppers. Western Kentucky University, that's right. Yes. Now, at, at Western Kentucky University, you learned how to be an excellent journalist. You, uh, no, you a did. Slightly above average Sli- well, journalist. And that's fine. Uh, slightly above average is excellent these days. So you learned to be an excellent journalist, and that uh, led to a uh, career, albeit uh, not a not a 30-year career, um, but a career. I have a hard time sometimes calling it a career because of how short it was. Well, is it still a career? We'll call it a career. Okay. We'll call it a career. Can I retire if it, I get to call it my career is over? Well, so. you know what? You uh, you moved on to something else. We'll, we'll put it that way. So you moved on to, uh, to pastoral ministry where God has gifted you and uh, cut you out to love and serve the church in the way that you do. And part of that is taking courses at... Uh, what we will lovingly uh, use the initials RTS for. Mm-hmm. So for those who, who aren't familiar in our little nerdy world, RTS stands for Reformed Theological Seminary. Uh, RTS has several campuses around the country. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a wonderful school. I graduated from there 11 years ago now. It's the only reason and, I ever uh, found out about it. Yeah, there we go. You went there. Wonderful. So we, uh, we have, uh, we have some, some really sweet connections with the school. And uh, Josh is in the middle of his Master of Divinity program uh, at RTS and uh, recently was able to head down to the sunny world of Florida where they grow citrus and they have palm trees and they mm-hmm. have 
beaches that aren't bordering lakes that freeze up in yeah. the wintertime. And, and you were able to be down there and spend some time with uh, the chancellor of our school, Ligon Duncan. Papa Lig. Papa Lig, yes. So Papa Lig sounds like an injury. You would, uh, you <laughs> I would popped incur. a leg. I popped right. a leg. Uh, and in fact, many... Many football players pop leagues, but uh, Papa League, Papa Ligon Duncan. Uh, if you're not familiar with with Ligon Duncan, to all of our listeners, uh, we'd encourage you definitely to uh, to, to give him a give him a listen. Um, he's a uh, fantastic, fantastic leader, and uh, was one of the initial gatherers of the Together for the Gospel Conference, mm-hmm. and um, just has has provided um, a lot of men uh, who are pursuing seminary education with. Uh, a role model, a uh, man to look up to who responsibly handles the scriptures. Now, yep. you were able to take a class with him uh, because your program allows you to take intensives on campus. Right. And uh, while well, my intensive was in my office staring oh, at a man. snow pile, your intensive was actually going down to Florida to spend time. We were actually with wearing Papa bathing Lee. suits the whole class. That's insane. Just because we were in Florida. That's not true. That isn't, well, I think everybody there does, actually. Yeah. Everybody wears bathing suits all the time. So, uh, I, I take it then that your time on the beach with Lake and Duncan. <laughs> That's where we had class. Yeah, it was, was, was wonderful. And we've talked about, you know, your, your, your course um, because of the wonderful time you had down in Florida. But we're going we're gonna to spend this episode talking about your relationship with Lake and Duncan. We're not going to spend any time talking about theology. This is where I start praying, Lord, I did give the reins to Chris. Lord, I did. Lord, I will relinquish. We're, we're going to talk about your request to stay in his home, uh, your request to drive his vehicles, yep. to be in his will. Mm-hmm. Um, none of these things happened, of course. But, uh, you know, he, he is kind of a, a, a figure, again, that, uh, that we look up to right. uh, as, as an older man. Which is why I jumped at the chance to take the—it was a core class I could have yeah. taken online, but jumped at the yep. chance to— because he is a he is a fatherly, older, wiser figure, and so yeah. it was kind of a unique opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't you tell us um, a little bit about your experience first? And and I, I do want to kind of put a plug in here. Um, you know, Southern is a huge school. A um, lot of lot of credit goes to uh, to folks there, but RTS is a very special place as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a very prestigious school. And uh, a number of uh, very talented, gifted men teach there. Uh, Kevin Young teaches there. Right. Sinclair Ferguson has taken an adjunct role. Timothy Keller at some point did some teaching. Uh, so there's some some big names that have come through the doors of RTS. Josh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your um, your experience just just with the program just overall? Yeah. yeah, I think the first thing that comes to mind what is that when I first knew what a seminary was ten years ago. I heard people jokingly use the ter- term cemetery. Cemetery, yep. And that stuck with me. Like, oh man, I feel like I want to go to seminary, but people are telling me that that's the driest period of their life. And at that time, I didn't know that those people were going to seminaries I didn't respect, yeah. or, or that now I don't respect. And those they were going to seminaries that maybe tore down more than they built up right. as far as your view of the scriptures as authoritative or trustworthy. And so... The dryness came from being te- spiritually dead. Yeah, we're yeah. teaching you not to trust the Bible. Mm-hmm. I man, I've experienced the exact opposite of Reformed. I from my very first class, which was Scripture, theology proper, and anthropology. And who was that with, Josh? Uh, Doctor Scott R. Swain. And Josh loves Scott Swain. I do because he's so he's just brilliant, but also a little spicy. Mm-hmm. He, his you Twitter can follow, follow him at Twitter on at. He's a little spicy. Scott Swain, probably. So, um, 
and I think from that very first class, I felt that the the professor wanted me to know that knowledge is not enough, mm-hmm. that he wanted me to worship the Lord. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's carried through in every class is um, the guy who's going to be teaching me Greek this semester wants me to know Greek so that I can know the scriptures, so that I can know the Lord, so I can yeah. worship the Lord, you know? Yeah. And um, it's maybe that sounds like a duh thing, but I have been pretty consistently surprised at the, you call it the doxological component. Sure. The, yep. I, I want to praise Christ more when I leave each class. Awesome. And so I think that's been my, my understanding in seminary is at RTS, it is academically very, very challenging. Mm-hmm. And yet they give you the flexibility to write the papers you'd like to write. Mm-hmm. So there, there is academic rigor in how you must write the paper. Yeah. You must do this, you must do this, you must do this. But if you want to write on this topic or that topic, they give you some freedom to be able mm-hmm. to take whatever is has intrigued you about the course and run that way, mm-hmm. which I think also leads to more doxology, yeah. which is I get to take my interest, find out more, and end up knowing mm-hmm. more about the Lord in that way. Yeah. I mean, uh, RTS's uh, motto, uh, tagline, whatever they call it these days, uh, is a mind for truth, a heart for God. Right. Uh, is what they say. So Josh is definitely and they're experiencing fulfilling it. that. Yeah. yeah. And that's awesome. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about what you got to apply yourself toward um, a few weeks back. Uh, when you were down in Orlando, spent some time with uh, with Reverend Doctor Papa Ligon Duncan. Is there a more Southern name than James? Or is it J- Jennings Ligon Duncan the Third? I didn't even know there was. Yeah. Oh wow! His name is Jay Ligon Duncan. His it's Jennings. He's got a huh? Jennings the Fourth. That's his younger son. Wow! From from South South Carolina, I think. Yeah. That just sounds like a wonderful, Jennings, lovely Ligon Southern Duncan name. III. Jennings Ligon Duncan. Well. Uh, that's, yeah, it is a lovely name, actually. That's good for, good for him. Uh, so your time with, uh... <laughs> so hope he doesn't listen to this. I will not be sending this to him. At least after you're graded. Yeah. At least after you're graded. Uh, so you spent some time with him, and, um, you were able to, to learn. Your mind for truth, heart for God. Uh, you were able to learn for a really intense period of time, um, on a, on a particular topic, that um, the, the course title is Covenant Theology. Now mm-hmm. that can encompass a lot of different things, but I just want to hear what you uh, what you want to share with us about your your time with Ligon Duncan, thinking through covenant theology, its significance mm-hmm. uh, within the life of the church and and for the Christian life. Yeah, and I think one of the reasons I'm intrigued to process this with you, Chris, this is almost like a uh, this episode is almost like a self processing trying for me to grab a hold of what what is lasting in this class Mm -hmm. because I don't know if you feel this way, but whenever I'm in a class, the newness of the content feels like the most pressing thing. Of course. Right. And so I think what now three weeks after that in person intensive thinking, okay, what am I holding on to here? Mm -hmm. And you know, you have taken that class years ago. And so you have a different, I never actually took covenant theology when I was at RTS. Okay. But you, you know how to, but I know exactly theology. of course. So you, you're kind of more maybe removed from that. And I think Mm -hmm. would be helpful to just say like, here's what's stuck from that with you. Um, A different dispensation, if you will, (laughs) in the uh, world of RTS. So, so covenant theology from an aerial view is seeking to explain how the scriptures tell one story of redemption, right? Mm-hmm. And so in in a nutshell, covenant theology teaches that 
before the foundation of the world, the father, the son, and the spirit had a covenant relationship together where they agreed to redeem. It's called the what, covenant. What is a covenant, Josh? Um, James or Jennings Ligon Duncan III would describe it as a God-initiated, living, binding relationships with blessings and obligations. Promises, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so... Covenant theology is teaching that in eternity past, that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, in it's hard to use these times of types of terms when you're talking about being outside of time, but that they got together, right. they had a meeting of sorts, and they discussed and agreed to redeem. And and you see that in Jesus saying things like, I have come to do all that you have given me to do. Mm-hmm. And so covenant theologian, this is, this is the most debated of them, by the way. So I'm starting off with the most debated, mm-hmm. but the covenant theology is trying to say, Hey, it seems to us that the father and son clearly, and then the spirit by implication agreed upon the nature of redemption before they ever created yeah. the world. Right. Um, and so that's called the covenant of redemption. And, and then covenant theology teaches that there is something called the covenant of works and the covenant of works is, um, and if, if you're, if you're struggling to hang on here, then just hang on with me for like three minutes and we'll get to, I think something that's really, really important for the practical life of our church. The covenant of works is basically that God had a, a living binding relationship with Adam that had blessings and obligations. Mm -hmm. Okay. So God comes down to Adam. God blesses Adam with, uh, the ability to rule, the ability to name, the ability to work and keep the, the having of a wife, dominion, all these different things. And the obligation is don't eat of the tree. So that's a covenant. It's two parties, blessings and obligations. It's Mm -hmm. a living relationship. Adam then violates that covenant. Um, And so then covenant theology teaches that the next step is called a covenant of grace, which is still a living binding relationship with blessings and obligations. Um, But now, how do we say this? Um, but now the graciousness of the covenant becomes clear because in Adam, humanity failed mm-hmm. to keep the obligations. Right. But then Christ keeps the obligations. And now this new covenant, the covenant of grace, is the blessings of, the blessings of being given Christ are kind of like, this is the blessing of the relationship with God. Yeah. It's a living relationship. It's a binding relationship. Um, but covenant theology seeks to say there still are obligations to that relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, there still are commands to be obeyed. So mm-hmm. it still is a covenant with blessings and obligations. Sure. Now, you know, old, old big leg spent 40 hours teaching it. So I could go into so much more detail, but I think the, the takeaway is to say uh, covenant theology is trying to give us a framework to view all of the scriptures from Genesis 1 to Genesis 3, then Genesis 3 to Malachi, and then Matthew to Revelation as one sweep from a God who makes relationships with people, Mm -hmm. and in that relationships promises things to those people, and with those promises obligates people to do something. Mm. And so a picture of that would be Abraham, right? Mm -hmm. God comes to Abraham initiates a relationship. Yeah. He says he's going to be with Abraham to bless him and to bless those around him. Mm-hmm. He says he's going to give Abraham land. There's a blessing. And Abraham is supposed to leave his home. Mm-hmm. There's an obligation. And so you start to look at um, the different ways God initiates with David in Second Samuel 7, where he says, um, 
he's going to give David someone who will always be on his throne. Yeah. Right? And so covenant theology is trying to say the the way that God interacts with humanity is the same across all of the Bible, and he does so in terms of covenants. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything you would add to that that description? Yeah. You know, I... <sighs> I think it's hard for for us culturally to to kind of understand the significance of of a way of relating to people because I think we we relate very casually to people, right? You know, to the point where you know when we look at marriage, you know, and historically speaking, marriage has always been regarded as a covenant within you know the what we call the Christian West, um, in large part because covenant is a biblical concept, mm-hmm. right? And so as our cultural context is becoming de-Christianized ethically. Um, the idea of a promise, an obligation, um, commitment, these, these types of things are, are kind of evaporating, right? So we don't necessarily think in these terms um, the way that we probably should because when you, look, when you look at the Bible, you see fundamentally that God is a God who makes promises, right? right? And so if, if we're trying to understand how covenants work, biblically speaking, and how they ought to work for us today is to say a, a covenant is basically saying, I will do this, right? And this is my, I am duty bound to do this because mm-hmm. I am pledging myself to do this. And in the case of when we look at uh, these, you know, the covenant of works, covenant of grace, covenant of redemption, the, these, these things that, you know, you had just mentioned. I think a very helpful thing to do is is to understand that and, and this is a freeing reality because in as much as, and I think you wanted to talk about, you know, the obligations that Christians have to honoring God, to obeying God, is that when you look at what what we see as the new covenant, you see this in Jeremiah, see this in Ezekiel, very clearly spelled out. The thing that's so refreshing is if you understand history, redemptive history, as a series of God's relationship through covenant, God's mm-hmm. relationship through promise, is that you get to Jeremiah and Ezekiel and you see God looking at our our failure repeatedly over and over again and looking at our failure and saying, I promise to do something that you can't. Mm-hmm. And and that is really the most marvelous thing because if, if God does not relate to people that way, then then we're really hopeless. You know, and the coming of Christ makes no sense. But if God is a God who makes promises and keeps them, and he's a God who sees our broken promises toward mm-hmm. him, and, and yet he fulfills for us, I mean, it is, it is a wonderful thing to see redemptive history as a relational, because fundamentally, covenants are relational. Right. You know, it's, it's not a matter of do this and don't do this as some type of abstract standard, like gravity, but a covenant is personal. Yeah. And so for anybody who might be thinking like, why should I listen to talk about covenants? Why should I care about this? It seems like something is just kind of pie in the sky, esoteric, whatever. It's because God wants you to know him as a God who is trustworthy, who has made promises and who has kept all of his promises and who will keep all of his promises. And so when you see him addressing you in scripture, even to something like, you know, my people will be a holy people. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's God's full person behind that type of obligation. Yeah. So, Yeah, and I think those, those are some good, good things to hit on and to think that marriage is just a, a perfect picture because um, it is the mo- it's still 
the most clearly defined covenant in our culture, even right. if we don't call it that anymore. Right. And in a marriage covenant, whether you know what you're getting into or not, which mm-hmm. most married people are that are honest with themselves, like, oh man, I'm glad I made some promises because I think <laughs> right. I think I might have gotten out of this a long time ago yeah. if I didn't make those promises. Um, is you you stand before one another and before God and witnesses, even if it's just witnesses, even if you don't believe in God, you're still before right. some sort of officiant and yeah. some level of witnesses. You say, "I pledge myself to be this for you." And the other person says, I pledge myself to be this for you. Yep. Now, in a marriage covenant, it's it's equal. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you Essentially, you're promising to your wife and receiving from your wife about the same promise. Mm-hmm. Faithfulness, long-suffering, yeah. love, support, encouragement, those types mm-hmm. of things. Um, in the Bible, we see that the the promises and blessings of God who promises vastly outweigh mm-hmm. the duties of the person. And right. so Abraham is his duty, leave his house and go and follow God's promises. You'll have as many sons as the stars in the heaven. Mm-hmm. You're going to have a land flowing with milk and honey. Like I'm going to yeah. bless you and bless those who bless you. And I'm going to curse though. You're going to get mm-hmm. protection. And, and so even in the very first clear covenant, I guess Noah would be the first um, clear covenant, but in Abraham, you see very clearly that the promises outweigh the obligations. Sure. Um, and so you have a God who needs nothing from you, mm-hmm. who comes to you, makes promises to you, and then says, I also need this in in return. Mm-hmm. Um, now we kind of shrug off that last part and say, whoa, 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 sure. whoa, 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 that doesn't sound gracious. It doesn't mm-hmm. sound like God should obligate me to do anything. But if we thought through that in marriage, that would be foolish. Yeah. Like in, in a marriage ceremony, we don't stand and say, I promise to be faithful to you, but whatever you want to do is yeah. fine with me. Yeah. No, we know that the the, the covenant relationship requires mm-hmm. um, duties on both sides. Right. The difference with our covenant relationship with God is that his blessings and promises so vastly outweigh what we're supposed to do in response <laughs> that it's a no duh. Mm-hmm. Like It's like, of course I'll do that in response yeah. because of what you're doing for me. Um, well, and, and a key distinction here to make as well is this, that, you know, again, I just, I mentioned the promise of the new covenant in Jeremiah and Ezekiel and, and integral to that and differentiating that from the broken covenant of works that, you know, you see in Adam, you see in Moses is this, God says, I will cause you to walk in my ways. I will put my spirit within you and I will, I will put the fear of me into your heart. That's a massive, like, people might ask the question, like, well, how, is it fair? Is it fair to look at somebody who isn't, quote, holding up their end of the bargain, covenantally, right? Mm-hmm. You think about a faithful, well, they're still married, right? They're still, you know, even if that wife is unfaithful, they're still married, doesn't matter, that kind of a thing. And, and so how is it fair for a Christian um, to, to look at somebody who is a professing Christian and, and see their behavior and say, I don't think you're being faithful to God? It's because faithfulness to God on this side of the cross is evident by a heart that has been changed, actually mm-hmm. changed in history and in time as a blessing itself of this new covenant. So if God's promise to act in history on behalf of his people, part of that promise is I will cause you to fear me. So that's why you can go to, to somebody and say, yeah, you know what? You are obligated to honor God with your life, but that obligation is at the end of the day, something that you want to do, which mm-hmm. is much different than it was before in part, because that's the promised blessing of this new covenant. 
Yeah. And and one more reason that this is important before I kind of get to what's been lingering in my head from this class is Jesus deter- defines his death in terms of covenant language. Mm-hmm. At the the last supper the night before he dies, he looks at his disciples and says, this is the new covenant in my blood. Yeah. And so uh, this word that we don't think about very often, um, that really the only embodiment we still have is in marriage, is how Jesus defines his death. Mm-hmm. He's saying that that covenant relationship promised where I will put everything in your heart, well, mm-hmm. I will do everything you cannot do, that covenant relationship promised in Jeremiah and Ezekiel is now. Yeah. This, this, this death tomorrow, Jesus is essentially saying, is what God has promised to do for you. Yeah. Um, and so even to think through Jesus's death, we have to know something of how God relates to his people in terms of a covenant relationship. Um, and I think that this is important. I'll say why I think it's important, and then I'll... I'll yeah. Uh, what's kind of lingering in my head is modern evangelicalism over the last 10 years might be described, or I don't know, maybe you'd say 20 or 30 or however long is, it's popular to say something like Christianity is a relationship, not a religion. Right. And what that I think is trying to communicate is Christianity is not a list of rules, but mm-hmm. it's a, about a person and his name is Jesus. Sure. But what it subtly does is say there's no rules to the relationship. But what a covenant reminds us is there's always rules to the relationship. Right. I mean, there's rules to my relationship with my employer. There's mm-hmm. rules to my relationship with my wife. To have any sort of defined relationship, there mm-hmm. are rules. Yep. And if there are zero stipulations, zero obligations, zero boundaries <laughs> to the relationship, there is effectively no relationship. Correct. Exactly. And so regaining this idea that yes and amen, like the the nature of Christianity is about a relationship with the living God, right. which is a covenantal relationship which comes with, well, put it this way, if, if there's no boundaries, no stipulations to the relationship, then how on earth do we know what God is promising us? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't want to go to that far, right? We yeah. want to know what God is promising us. And so when we get back to a covenantal idea where a living, binding relationship with blessings and obligations, we say, okay, this is a relationship. It's primarily about me and the Lord. Mm-hmm. In this relationship, he has duty-bound himself to certain things. Right. He has said, I will be your God. Mm-hmm. You will be my people. I will save you. I will restore you. He's duty-bound himself to those yeah. things. And then in response, he's given us obligations. Follow me. Mm-hmm. Don't have any... You, you cannot love God and money. Yeah. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. The, the whole of the law can be summed up in yep. this... And so we start to think covenantally and we go, like, oh, okay, so yes, it is a relationship, but a relationship with structure yeah. and boundaries, which leads me to the lingering thought of my Yeah, mind, let's, let's hear the lingering thought. Um, I, we studied covenant theology, studied dispensationalism. I was listening to a podcast this morning about uh, a little hullabaloo going on in reformed circles, and it was just another instance of something I've been thinking is we don't know what to do with God's commands. It's just like... I think we should obey them. End of podcast. End of podcast. <laughs> Tell so, us more about what you mean by that. It seems that there's this great struggle in trying to figure out what to do with um, obedience. Mm-hmm. How obedience fits in the Christian life. Is, yeah. is obedience a sign of saving faith? Is obedience... Um, 
Like, for instance, there's a debate about the Ten Commandments. Are the Ten Commandments still abiding for Christians? Um, and I think so. Somebody might say it's okay to have an adulterous relationship. Well, I think it's more so. Man, we could get real into the weeds here. Um, I don't want to get into the weeds there. I want to keep it broad. Uh, How do I say this? I think we all struggle to some degree with our relationship of obedience and the Lord's love for us. So when we don't obey, we struggle with whether or not the Lord is pleased with us at that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, when we hear a gospel message about the grace of God, we struggle to figure out how that leads us to, okay, well, what do we do? Or maybe some people say, well, because God is gracious, I don't have to do anything. Right. Um, or some people In say- In fact, a lot of people actually do say that. Right. Or some people say, well, yeah, God is gracious, but I need to do this, this, and this, almost mm-hmm. like it's the- it's the topping off of my faith. Correct. And, and I, I just, in all these different camps, I see Chris, that we really struggle with the nature of obedience in the Christian life. And I, I guess my lingering thought is that the covenant really helps this. How so? Um, because, because in the covenant, like marriage, and once again, if this seems scattered at all guys is because we're thinking through this <laughs> real time. But this is our time to think. Yeah. In, in the covenant, there are obligations, but the obligations are relational. They're not removed from relationship, right? They're not like a vague list of rules you follow. Right. They are uh, you committing yourself to a person, right? In the same way that when I go about my day and I may need to check in with my wife or maybe spend my money in a certain way mm-hmm. or I'm doing it because I'm, I'm obliged to a person whom I love. Correct. And they, so, so any obligations we have are relational obligations. Mm-hmm. And so obligations are not somehow disembodied from relationship. And we know that. Um, and covenants help us see that the frameworks are personal, right? Yeah. And I think covenant also helps us see in regards to the Lord that, the blessings of God dwarf the obligations that he. Okay. Um, and so sometimes it's like, okay, God graciously saves me, but what? I mean, if I have to do something in return, then that diminishes the blessing. Like, no, yeah. no, 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 no. Uh, God's blessing in Christ is so grand, so vast, that whatever he asks of you in return is like nothing. Right, so if mm-hmm. if the blessings of God in Christ is you have failed the law, but I followed the law for you, and and I offer my spirit to you to write the law on your hearts and mm-hmm. my blood for you to wash you clean, and and I and I offer to return again to rid the world of all wickedness, mm-hmm. and I offer to grow you over the course of this life in holiness, and right. and I offer to protect you and to guide you and to love you and to care for you, and what I want in return is for you to make me more important than anything else in your life. Mm. That is an obligation, isn't it? Right. But you're like, yes, sign me up. <laughs> yeah, I'm reminded of when, um, when Peter in Luke, as we've been preaching through Luke, um, when, when Peter encounters, I think it's actually, it might be the passage we're preaching this week. Um, where, uh, where, where Peter hears this, insane level of hardness that attaches itself for somebody to be a disciple of Jesus and live with great wealth. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and Peter's like, man, 
this seems like an impossible thing to follow you, Jesus. It seems like an absolutely impossible thing to pick up this cross and daily follow you. It seems so impossible. And then Jesus responds with this. He, he says, what, what is impossible with man is possible with God. So there's new covenant promise, mm-hmm. right? There's a promise of, I will work in you. Right. There is the inherent, uh, this will cost you something. You know, your, mm-hmm. your faithfulness to me will cost something. You, you will walk through this world in a particularly unique way as a Christian. It right. will look different. And yet he finishes, Jesus finishes this, this little dialogue with Peter by saying, you know, basically, I'm going to paraphrase, don't worry, everything you've given up is nothing in comparison to what you have in me. Yeah. So it's, it's exactly that type of language that's being used, saying your obedience is real. Your obedience yeah. is necessary. Your obedience is a marker of whether or not you actually know me. But make no mistake that at the end of the day, that obedience, uh, what, it is, what it is giving way to, is, is tremendous and it's remarkable. Right, and you think it, once again about marriage. You say, when you commit yourself covenantally in marriage and you say, as a man, I will forsake all other women for the sake of this one woman. That, that's an obedience thing. That is a... Um, it's restrictive. It's restrictive. Yeah. But the promise is what I will gain in intimacy with this one woman Mm-hmm. will so far surpass what I could gain yeah. in a shallow relationship with a thousand. Yeah. You know, and it's the same with the Lord. He's like, man, if you, if you understand what I'm promising you and you leave the things that are tantalizing to you for me and you mm-hmm. place me above all idols and I work in you, what you're, what you're going to gain in me right. is so far surpassing what you're going to gain in this world. Yep. And so, The idea of a covenant, which includes God initiating the relationship, which we know in salvation, God initiates the relationship, God saves, God promises things, and then God asks for obedience in return. Um, Like I said, I think think that gives us some framework to say, okay, obedience fits within the relationship. Mm -hmm. So it's not some sort of weird tack on. Um, And I think it, it gives us... I think it gives us a chance to say, yeah, like, like when I don't know what to do with the book of Proverbs, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's a lot of things in the book of Proverbs that I fail at quite often. And there's a lot of book of Proverbs where I think I might not ever grow in that area. Mm. How do I approach that? Well, I could approach that and say, I'm such a stinking failure that I'm never going to please the Lord. Yeah. I could approach that and say, I mean, not really a big deal whether or not I follow these commands. Mm-hmm. Or I could approach that and say, wow, the first three chapters of this book are about a father's care and instruction. Mm-hmm. And oh, I remember that my father has initiated a relationship with me right. where he's promised so many grand blessings to me. And this is a book of what he'd like in return. Mm-hmm. Um, not because he needs anything from me, not because if I don't follow these commands necessarily, he's going to bail on me but because he's telling me how to live. Right. He's telling me how he's intended me to live and, and he's telling me how to live in the covenant relationship. So and I tell my children that all the time when it comes to, you know, you are part of this family and this is how we behave, right? It's just, it just belongs to the relationship. Mm-hmm. There are boundaries, there are definitions. If my kids decide they want to go behave another particular way, it's going to be out of character with their relationship, right? Right. It's in, in, and so that 
that obedience, that behavior is defined by the fact that they are my children. Mm-hmm. And so it would be completely inappropriate for them to say, well, you know what, Dad? I know I'm your son. I know I'm your daughter. But just just, just bear with me here because I'm going to go behave like a, like a smith down mm-hmm. the street, right? It's like, no, it's not how this works. Like if you want to become a smith, become a smith. But you can't do both. Right. And so yeah. obedience to God, I mean, and this is where it's, it's so important to understand the personal nature of covenant, you know, that, that God relates to us personally. And at the same time, to relate to somebody personally doesn't mean that anything goes, that there's no definition, no boundary. I mean, if, if I decided to punch you in the face after we're done recording this, like that would violate a relational boundary, right? That would would not be good, and and that would that would break the integrity of our relationship, right? And so it it, it is, you know, I I do think it's 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 sad because when when John says that obeying God's commands is not a burdensome thing, yeah, doesn't mean it's not hard, and it and it doesn't mean. That it is, you know, you just kind of come up with your own list of things to do and call them God's commands. But it does mean that, like, as, as John's writing that letter, he's like, hey, I want you to know what a real Christian looks like. I want you to know over and over. And there's all this language about, you know, what see what great love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. Mm. And in the same letter, he says his commands are not burdensome. So, like... The relational aspect of obedience, I think it's so important for us to understand that like, when I sin and when you sin as Christians, you know, just as we're going to our dad when we seek for forgiveness, you know, like when we're like, Father, please forgive me. It's like, recognize you're sinning against him too. Mm-hmm. Like you're actually, you're violating something in the, the dynamics of your relationship, which is why you even see how Paul uses language about grieving the Holy Spirit or quenching the Holy Spirit, that, that this is language of like disappointment yeah. and saying, you know, there is a way that's right and good for you to live as a Christian. And when you walk out of step with that, you're, you're, you're inflicting a certain grief upon someone with whom you have a reconciled relationship. Yeah. And so to understand relationship covenantally to put boundaries to put you know and, and again I just I go back to the whole this is the, the greatest blessing of the whole new covenant is that even your obedience God provides for mm-hmm. even your obedience to him so when he calls you to not steal and you're at your employer's place of business and you look at uh, an opportunity to maybe ferret away a couple hundred bucks somehow it's like God please give me the grace to say no to this mm-hmm. And that just goes to, uh, I mentioned this the other week, preaching Augustine, when he's like, God, command whatever you will and, and give what you command. You know, whatever you command me to do, God, I'm going to be able to do because you give grace to do mm-hmm. it. And this, this only happens when we have the promise that God is going to work in us. Yeah, and there's just the graciousness of the, the new covenant is to say that um, God even gives stipulations for when you violate the, you know, like, <laughs> right. Okay. In that same letter, first John, I write these things so that you may not sin, but when you do, please know that you have an advocate yep. for the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, just before that, 
if you are if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive. Yep. So God gives this covenant relationship with covenant obligations. Obey my voice. Mm-hmm. You know, follow me. Teach others, Jesus says in the Great Commission, to obey. Not not just teach them to repent, but teach them to obey right. what I command. And when you don't, confess them and I'll forgive. Yep. I mean, it's just how gracious could this covenant relationship be? Yeah. And um, God is a promise making and a promise keeping God. Amen. All right. Covenant theology. That's what's been on my mind. Yeah. Thanks for sharing it with us, Josh. You're welcome, brother. This has been a time to think. We hope some of those ruminations was helpful for you. Uh, if you have any questions, send us an email.